This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. Why should I bother to vote? I have to confess, I have never understood why any Christian, much less any American, would ever ask that question. The right to vote is a privilege. It's one that should never be taken for granted, especially when we consider the issues at stake in this presidential election coming up. And that's why Joseph Backholm, who is Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council, ran a blog series recently refuting certain voting myths that keep Christians home from the polls, and he joins us now. Joseph, great to have you with us. How are you? I am well, Janet. Thank you. Good to be with you. It's good to have you here. I Do you feel like that a little bit when people say, I'm not really sure I should even bother to vote? Does that sound strange to you, too, or is that just me? Well, you know, it, it, on one level it does, but I think often what they're expressing is just a, a little exasperation, like a sense of, like, I don't have control over this. Yeah. So I don't know what to do, and there's a lot of information. And so on, on one level, yeah, I, I do think that those of us who live in a free country and have the, the freedom and the luxury to vote, uh, we, we should see that as a privilege because most people have lived and died without that privilege. But at the same time, I, I, I do understand that this world can feel overwhelming. And, and sometimes when something feels overwhelming, our kind of emotional instinct is just to withdraw. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you feel powerless, there is a tendency to want to say, I give up. Who cares? It doesn't matter anyway. Right. But, you know, it's funny. I think when you think about the issue of taking voting for granted, how How much of that is part of this kind of nonchalance about voting? I mean, we're a generation, we don't remember when women got the right to vote. We don't remember when, you know, the 15th Amendment was passed in 1869. A lot of the history of making voting more and more fair, that that way preceded a lot of us. So is that part of the problem that we look at voting as, eh, it's so normal that we don't really appreciate it? I do think that has a lot to do with it. I think that there is a uh, we take for granted things that other people in times past couldn't have imagined, and I do think that's true. That you know, we as Americans we're spoiled in so many ways. Not only are we spoiled economically in terms of our freedom, but we're spoiled by the fact that we get to have a say, and and because it is, it's just normal to us. There's this tendency to believe it's always been this way and it will always be this way when history actually proves the opposite, that this is very rare, Mm. historically speaking. Most people have lived and died under some form of tyranny, never had any say in how they were governed, and it is certainly not guaranteed uh, to last forever. And that's why, as as a matter of just kind of doing maintenance on our freedom and things that people gave to us, I do think we have – we owe it to the people who paid a really steep price to give us this opportunity – Uh, not to just 
uh, let go of it and, and lose it. Yeah, well said. I agree with you there. You're not always guaranteed a permanent right to vote. We should keep that in mind. That's a scary thought, but it is important. So you've written about these different myths, Christian voting myths, and I want to ask you about each of these. The first one that you've written about is one vote doesn't make a difference. In other words, a lot of people feel, I'm just one person of a big, you know, faceless mass of humanity, and if I vote, it's not going to throw the election one way or another. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think when people think about voting, and, and we kind of do this this instinctive kind of mass problem in our head, and we realize, well, 135 billion, million people voted for the presidency in, in 2016, and I'm just one of 135 million votes. Therefore, um, my vote doesn't necessarily matter. But what we forget is everything else that happens on a ballot, because you can make that, you can make that, uh, that, uh, um, you could reach that conclusion mathematically when you're just thinking about the presidency, but you don't just think about the presidency. You have dog catcher races, you have mayor races, you have state legislative races. You know, you go back to 2017 in Virginia, a House of Delegate race was actually tied after 23,000 votes. Mm. They determined the majority in the House of Delegates in the state of Virginia by pulling a name out of a hat. Mm. And so the, the entire state of Virginia's balance of power in one House of Government was determined, it would have been determined by one vote, but because there wasn't one more vote to settle that, it was actually determined by chance, pulling a name out of a hat. We saw the same thing happen in New Mexico, where, where a state rep won by two votes. It wasn't one vote, but it was two votes. So close. When you go down to, uh, you know, we've t- we do a lot of talking now about um, school board races, because that's where a lot of these conversations about curriculum are being decided, about the, the kind of the gender revolution that's taking place in schools. Those decisions are decided at the school board level. Many races across the country are uncontested. Some don't have anybody who run for them. And the ones that are contested are often decided not by tens of thousands of votes, but by tens of votes. Hmm. just because of the number of people that vote in them. So the reason why it's not true that our vote doesn't matter is that there's so much going on besides the presidential race, which tends to get all of the attention. Really? And many of those races impact our lives in really significant ways. That's a really good point. And of course, I think about the 2000 election, because if people will recall, you had Al Gore versus George W. Bush. It triggered that recount in Florida, and Bush won Florida by 0.009%. Five 537 votes. Basically, that's what it came down to in order to decide a presidential election. So even in the case where you have an electoral college in play, that makes a difference. If you show up, if 600 more voters had showed up and voted for Al Gore, he would have been president. That's exactly right. And so there are those occasions, while there are literally thousands of instances where a few votes matter across the country on a range of elections, occasionally, even on the most high-profile elections, a few dozen or a few hundred races make a big difference. So it's important to keep perspective on everything that we're involved in when we're voting. Really good. Joseph, do you think that this is more of a likely myth or excuse that people make when it comes to the presidential election, precisely because it is the electoral college? the winner-takes-all system that kicks in with the presidency, as opposed to what you've mentioned, you know, the judges or the dog catcher or the lower, you know, the lower down the ballot races? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, sometimes I think it's an excuse, not a reason. It's like people just don't want to be bothered by it. They're just frustrated. They want to just walk away. And I think it's an easy excuse to say, oh, look at all those people who vote for president. My vote's not going to make a difference anyway. Because I don't think you can do a very thorough analysis of, of elections and how they work top to bottom of the ballot and say my vote doesn't matter. And particularly when you think about, you know, 
and you know, my, my parents used to tell me what, you know, what would the world be like if everybody did what you did? Right. <laughs> so if one person decides my vote doesn't matter and they sit it out, well, does that make a big difference? I don't know. But what happens when 40 million people make that decision? And that's what you have, you know, you have 40% in 2016 of evangelicals didn't fill out a ballot. And so you have, when one person says that, the impact is smaller. But when tens of millions of people reach that same conclusion, do those collective votes make an impact? Absolutely they do. So this is just another, another one of those situations where just do the right thing in your small way. Everybody does that, and then everything gets taken care of. But if you, if you neglect the small things, who, he who is faithful and little, then will not be made ruler over much in a very practical way. That's a really good point. What about the issue of the lack of professing Christians who are even registered to vote? I know we're coming up a few days before the election, so it's not really possible if people are listening and haven't registered to vote. Shame on you, but... What are the numbers? Do you have any idea what those numbers are this year as opposed to previous years? Well, I, I, I don't know that anybody knows, though. And I would still say in many states, Janet, you can still register to vote depending oh, on where you are. Voter, voter deadlines are not necessarily done. There are some states where you can walk up and register the day of the election. Perfect. I'm not sure I love that, but you can in some <laughs> places. So if you're not registered, you can get registered to vote in many places. So check. Um, but the reality is, it's it's about um, you know in when, when we go back historically it's about it's only 65, 70% of eligible voters who are registered to vote. Mm-hmm. There's a huge percentage of, of people who could vote, but don't for one reason or another. They moved, they just changed their address and didn't re-register in their new state, or they just don't care that much. And so you still have a huge percentage of the, of the population who's just not participating in the in the process. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the fact that in certain areas you can still register to vote. I was not aware of all of that, but you can look that up, I'm sure, online and check into that if you have not registered to vote. So I'm sorry I jumped on that bandwagon before I knew. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, really glad you mentioned that. Well, I want to go to a very quick break. We'll come back with Joseph back home from the Family Research Council talking about voting and your Christian duty to vote. We'll come back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. 
or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the South and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back and we are chatting with Joseph Backholm, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council. And he has put together a blog series really good on the Christian voting myths. And the second one, Joseph, is God is in charge anyway, so it doesn't matter if I vote. I put that one kind of on the same level as if God wanted my crops to grow, he would water and plant the seeds himself. I mean, you can't. he gives you the tools and you have a responsibility, don't you, when it comes to voting? You know, that's exactly right. But, you know, this is actually a pretty common argument that I've heard. And it's just this idea that, well, Jesus isn't a Democrat. Jesus isn't a Republican, which is, of course, true. And Jesus is in charge of everything, regardless of what happens. Therefore, I'm going to just I'm not going to do anything about it. And I'm going to let God sift through it and, you know, take care of it when it's all done. And and, you know, it, it's a pretty lame theological argument from my perspective, because we wouldn't take that perspective in our parenting. We wouldn't take that perspective in our marriage. You know, God is in charge. Therefore, I'm just going to, you know, neglect my children. God's always in charge. <laughs> so I'm going to neglect my, you know, my leaky roof, whatever that is. <laughs> you know, we just we just don't use that logic anywhere else, which is why it, 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 it doesn't make sense here either, because God put us here to do the things that he entrusted to us. And one of those things is be good stewards of our communities. We have to. I like the way you put it. You said a Republican form of government, like everything in our lives, requires constant maintenance. We also wouldn't say God's in charge. I don't think I'm going to tend to that leaky oil that I have dripping yeah. out of my car. It just doesn't make... What, what drives it, though? Is it just, again, that same frustration that you mentioned earlier? I think, yes. I think people are frustrated with the process. They get frustrated with the system. They get frustrated with the people. Emotionally, they want to disengage. And so they want to find a reason that will allow them to. So they go looking for arguments. And that sounds kind of high-minded and spiritual, because um, it's true that God does is in charge, and he sifts through our brokenness, and he sifts through our mistakes, and ultimately his will is accomplished. And we don't have the power to derail God's ultimate plan, of course. But that's neither here nor there, because God, when he places us on earth, he gives us assignments. He has good works that we should walk in them that he prepared for us in advance, right? Good. So that's what he did. And he, he has expectations of us and not expectations in a sense that, you, you know, you better do this or I'm going to, I'm going to strike you dead. It's expectations in we get to join him in what he's doing on earth. Right. And he gives us power. He gives us opportunities. He gives us relationships. He gives us, gives us authority that when we steward them in a way that honors him, then we get to see him at work and we get to be 
part of that. And so it, it shouldn't be seen as like this duty are some of these, you know, it, it shouldn't be seen as a duty that we that we are that we dread. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's confusing. And yes, sometimes it's complicated and difficult, but God's still at work and he has a part for us to play in that. And we should be excited about the chance to listen, discern his will and then go do it. That's good. And it's also it would seem a dereliction of duty if because enough Christians said that and stayed home, that worse people were put into office with worse policies that could harm people. I mean, there are ramifications as to who's elected. It's not as if, eh, you know, color blue candidate and color red candidate and they're basically the same and it doesn't matter it really matters who's who's in each office and i think we've seen that very starkly this year you know, it really does. And, and I think in, in every race, you're, you're dealing with imperfections. You're dealing with imperfect policy. You're dealing with imperfect people. And there is a temptation when we, you know, we have things we don't like about both or all of the options. It's just to say, well, then I'm not going to get involved. But the reality is, if, if, if your choice is better or worse, which it often is, if you're not willing to push your thumb down on the lever for better, there's a good chance you're going to be stuck with worse. Right. And I don't know why that benefit, who that benefits fits when we do that. I don't either. This kind of leads into your third myth, your Christian voting myth number three. I don't like either candidate. So what's the point? Uh, This was quite, you know, employed with the never Trumpers, for example, in 2016, especially those within evangelical confines who were saying, oh, well, you know, there's no character and I can't go with somebody with no character. And other people talked about the importance of policy when we enter the voting booth. How do you come down on that question that if you have bad candidate and worse candidate, you shouldn't have no candidate. But, but what is the justification behind that theory and behind that logic? Yeah, well, I'm, I try not to bind other people's consciences, and I think this is an area within the church where we can have sincere differences of agreement while all trying to do the right thing. But for me, I mean, this is a practical situation. It's not like social media where you're saying, you know, I like everything about this image or this quote, so I'm going to give it a thumbs up. The reality is on the ballot, you're you're not necessarily choosing between perfect and awful, you're choosing between, um, I think this is better than the alternative. And I think that we should have the, just practically speaking, the willingness to do that because most of our choices in life are imperfect. And when you evaluate, you know, how do we choose between imperfect options? Let's look at their policies. What do they yeah. actually do? Yeah. And is there one, removing the personalities from it, is there, is there one direction that I like better than the other? If there is, that might help us make, the, make a choice. And then look at the people around them. Who do they bring with them? If you don't like the coach of the team, do you like anybody on the team? And is the team generally doing what you want to get done? Yeah, and there good. is just because politics is such a uh, it's such a reality TV these days. <laughs> there's so much uh, hypersensitivity about who the personalities involved involved are, and they do matter. The people involved matter, and character matters. All those things matter, but they may not be the only thing that matters if you can't easily make a choice based on those criteria. And that's a hard thing, I think, for many Christians because we are so you know, fixated rightly, I think, on the character of the people who serve in public office. But I think people also recognize there have been big shifts, tectonic plate shifts in the political system in the last 15, 20 years. I I can think, and I won't name any names, but I can think of men I voted for for various offices who had great character and they were terrible in office. They just were very ineffective in in their public office. So what about job performance? That's also, it would seem to be an important thing to talk about as well. 
And that, that's exactly right. And when it comes to the issues that matter most and, you know, kind of being single issue voters and those kind of things, it's like my nine year old agrees with me on everything, but I don't think my nine year old should be president of the United States. Right. <laughs> so some of these things are that we're establishing minimum requirements for what should be there, which will allow us to eliminate some people. And then on, in some ways we are hiring for a job. It's like, well, who's the best person to accomplish the job that we have in front of us? You know, who's going to which Uber driver do I want? Do I want the driver who's driving in the direction I want to go? or the guy who's going the opposite direction? Whose car am I going to get in, even if I may not like the ride? Are they going the direction (laughs) that I want to go, or are they going the opposite direction that I want to go? Makes a lot of sense. So the fourth Christian voting myth that you mentioned is, I'm not in the majority where I live, so why bother? I've been in this position. Since I'm from Illinois, it always seemed like my vote didn't count. Now I'm in Texas, and in a way, in a better way from my perspective, I'm in a majority here. What about that issue that, boy, my vote just doesn't count because I live in a state that either it's overwhelmingly my position or it's overwhelmingly against my position. Kind of back to the first myth, aren't we? Yes. A little bit we are, but there's a, there's a little twist on this because, um, you know, the, the best illustration of this, I think of quickly, is when you go back to 2016 in the race versus Trump and Hillary, Donald Trump was elected with the votes of less than 20% of the United States population. And it was less, about 25% of the eligible voters. Why is that? Because you have the whole population within that. You have, you have eligible voters, and then you have a subset of that, which is registered voters, and then a subset of that is people who are actually voters. Yes. And so the fact is that every election is, is decided by the people who turn out to actually vote. It's not decided by uh, a sample of what does 100% of the population actually think. It doesn't matter what actually people think. It matters who shows up and fills out their ballot, which is why turnout matters so much and why the minority of a community always determines the outcome of an election simply because so many people don't show up. So you can win elections with 20% of your community, with 25% of your community, and even 25% of your country, as long as everybody does their job. That's that's a really, really vital thing for people to understand, because I know, for example, in local elections, sometimes you have just a handful of people, depending on where you live. A handful of people will select the city council if it's just a city council election standing on its own, no national candidates on the ballot. So that principle is exactly what you're saying. It could just be, you know, a few hundred people in your community decides who's on the city council when there are thousands of people who live there. That's exactly right, you know, and I, I talk to churches about this sometimes. That yeah, I, I tell a pastor, you know, you go get two or three of your pastor friends, and you guys run a slate of candidates. You can run in your little town. You can own the city council yeah. just by each nominating somebody to run and telling everybody, this is these are our people. This is who we're going to vote for because there's just so much organization, so little organization that goes into these small races. You don't have to be the minority in your the majority in your town. You just have to care enough to do some work to make it happen, and you can. Very good. Do you think that motivation is up? We're hearing some early stories about, you know, early voting is just way up from four years ago. How do you see this whole election shaking out? Many people, again, are calling it the most important election of our lives, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think it is? Well, you know, we hear that every year. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it's certainly the most important election of this year. Sure. Um, you know, it's just it's just it's hard to know that. I do think they all matter. I think ideas matter. And government is where ideas get implemented. So I think as Christians, we need to understand that that has a real impact on people's lives in very tangible ways. 
That's is right. this the most important one? I don't know. But it's the most important one in front of us. And so we do need to care. And, and we need to not just see this as red and blue and kind of w- whatever those issues are. It's not just partisanship. It's the idea that what we embrace as a community, as a country, as a state, that will determine, in some cases, whether people live and die. It will determine what our children are taught in the school down the street. It will determine whether churches and nonprofits get to retain their religious freedom, whether nuns are going to get sued because they don't want to pay for birth control. All of these really practical, and then not to mention business climate issues and how easy or difficult it is to own and run a business and, and how often you know somebody else is going to be telling you what you have to do in your business. There are many really practical reasons why this matters in people's lives. So we just need to, you know, submit it to God and do our best, but be good stewards of the authority God's given us. Well said. Well, and and as people have an opportunity to head to the polls in early voting or on November 3rd itself, this is good motivation for all of us to do our duty as citizens of this great country. FRC.org, the Family Research Council, Joseph, back home with us. Joseph, it was great having you here. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Janet. Thank you. All right. You take care. We'll be right back. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I want to say thank you to the greatest listeners in Christian radio for your support for Heart for Lebanon. I am so excited to tell you that we have met and surpassed our goal of helping 100 of these families who are in these refugee camps in Lebanon, most of them coming from uh, Syria, the Syrian civil war still raging there. So many of these Muslim families are coming to know the Lord Jesus. It's unbelievable what the Lord is doing over there, but they're coming in a very needy state and they're coming in need of education for their children. They're coming in need of food and emergency supplies. And I'm telling you, it is so exciting to see how the Lord is using the Christians from Heart for Lebanon to reach these wonderful people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are open like never before because of what they left and what they saw. And that was the falsity, the falsehood of Islam. And they are delighted to hear, you mean the Lord loves me? He came to earth and he died for me. He paid the price for my sins and he conquered sin and death and he promises me eternal life. And through you Christians, we're getting our needs met. This is amazing. This is good news. I mean, it's so exciting. So we want to just encourage you as we are winding down our campaign with Heart for Lebanon. If you've been wanting to give to one of these families and help them for the next 60 days, get the help that they need, you can still do so. Here's the number you can call 888-247-5499. It's 888-247-5499. And your gift of $58 will help one family. $116 will help two families. But whatever you can give, we're incredibly thankful and incredibly grateful to God for whatever you are able to donate. There's also a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. One more time, 888 247 
$54.99. And thank you to all of you who have already been such generous donors. We just love you guys and appreciate you very much. I want to get into Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Congratulations to Justice Barrett. This is very huge. I keep thinking about those never Trumpers back in 2016, the Russell Moores of evangelicalism. Oh, we must not compromise our principles. Okay, well, we just got three pro-life justices because President Trump was the president of the United States. And that was one of the main reasons that people talked about wanting to vote for Trump because they wanted to get pro-life justices on the Supreme Court. Now what we have to deal with is a left that's just bonkers. I don't know how else to put it. They're bonkers. Let's go first to Senator Chuck Schumer, ever the drama king when he doesn't get his way. Listen to cut one. Here at this late hour, At the end of this sordid chapter in the history of the Senate, the history of the Supreme Court, my deepest and greatest sadness is for the American people. Generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences of this nomination. As the globe gets warmer, as workers continue to fall behind, as unlimited dark money floods our politics, as reactionary state legislatures curtail a woman's right to choose, gerrymander districts and limit the rights of minorities to vote, my deepest, greatest, and most abiding sadness tonight is for the American people and what this nomination will mean for their lives, their freedoms, their fundamental rights. Monday, October 26, 2020, it will go down as one of the darkest days in the 231-year history of the United States Senate. Can you hear my eyes rolling? <laughs> They're rolling so hard. I bet it's probably audible. Really? Chuck Schumer, generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences. Generations that could be unborn because of abortion may have their lives saved ultimately if Amy Coney Barrett is able to participate in an overturning of Roe v. Wade, which we pray for every single day, as we should. What they're mad about is that they didn't get their way. They are mad that the Republicans had the votes that they needed in order to confirm a justice whom they didn't want. And by the way, this all goes back to how they tried to get their way years ago, and now it's coming back to bite them a little bit. Do you remember in 2013, they took the step. The Senate Democrats eliminated filibusters for most nominations by presidents. Now, this didn't include Supreme Court nominations, but it set into motion this whole new way of playing a dirty game, really. And and we want our power so badly that we're going to keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at how things have traditionally been done in the Senate. And then when we don't get our way, we're going to call it illegitimate. Well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell addressed this issue a couple of days before Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed as the next Supreme Court justice. He addressed this issue of legitimacy, and I thought brilliantly. Listen to cut two. All of these false claims embarrass those who repeat them. But the most important point is this. In this country, legitimacy does not flow from the whims of politicians. Legitimacy does not depend on which political party makes a decision. Legitimacy comes from traditions, rules, and the Constitution. Our Democratic colleagues have spent months obsessively demanding that our president repeatedly acknowledge that the election will be legitimate even if he loses. But here in the Senate, here, with this confirmation process, Democrats are flunking their own test. So let me say that again. Democrats want President Trump to keep repeating that the election will be legitimate regardless of whether he wins. 
But here in the Senate, the very same people are saying that our vote on Monday will only be valid if they like the outcome. And they pretty much walked right into that. What does this end up doing to our republic? Senate Majority Leader McConnell went on to say this. Cut three. Our republic cannot abide any political faction making illegitimate a sloppy synonym for we're not happy. Well, of course they're not happy. That doesn't make anything about this illegitimate. That kind of recklessness, Mr. President, leads down a road none of us should want to travel. So that's why I keep correcting the record. Even though it might seem silly, after all, if Republicans have the votes, why not just ignore my colleagues' misstatements and move on? But I've chosen not to do that. It remains our duty to separate right from wrong, fact from fiction, for the good of the Senate and for our country. Well, I'm glad that he went on the record and said all of that, because I think posterity ought to show somebody was thinking clearly during this dark time in American history. It's amazing to me. I look at some of these people, some of the same people who went berserk during the Brett Kavanaugh scourge. It was horrible what they did to that man. And they had no shame whatsoever. And I'm thinking, how do these people get elected? Do people really look at some of these people and say, yeah, that's a person with a great temperament and a real sensible outlook on life. I think that would be a good choice for the Senate. I Enough people do that these people keep getting reelected. So, you know, this is the way it goes in America. But speaking of nuts, listen to this little rant after the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. This is Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. This is cut four. One of the things that the Democratic leader, uh, Chuck Schumer, said on the floor of the Senate tonight was um, the next time the American people give Democrats a majority in this chamber, meaning in the Senate, you, meaning you Republicans, will have forfeited the right to tell us how to run that majority. Um, What Senator Coons is talking about there in terms of rebalancing the courts uh, is what Democrats are talking about. And they've tried to demonize this issue in the presidential race, calling it court packing and all of these other things. But over the past eight years, Mitch McConnell in particular and the Republicans in the Senate in general have embarked on a radical transformation of the judiciary. And they did through through cutthroat tactics and radical, radical hypocrisy. If Democrats just decide they're going to live with those consequences and not fight fire with fire, they're essentially disarming themselves in politics um, and letting McConnell's way um, run things for Republicans and not for the other side. Uh, I think that when you let the when you force the pendulum that far to one side, it comes back. And anybody who's not expecting that once there's a Democratic Senate majority and a Democrat in the White House um, is kidding themselves. It's coming. Okay, Rachel Maddow calling Republicans radical is hilarious. It's hilarious. They're radical. Mitch McConnell is radical. Can you believe these people? The Republicans have the executive branch and they have control of the Senate and they actually went ahead and did what is allowed constitutionally to nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice who is highly qualified and comes highly recommended. And even Biden had said that he thinks she's a good person. So why is that radical? They're the radical ones. They are the ones who are continually trying to be totalitarian about everything. It's their natural state. It just is. Why else did we see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez immediately put out a tweet saying expand the court and the rest of the squad jumped right on it? Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, the usual suspects. Yeah, pack the court, pack the court. But Rachel Maddow, oh, this court packing discussion. Yeah, there's not much to it. Really? We're going to come back. Stay with us.
If you could provide God's word to a Bibleist believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's Word. Everyone wants to read the Bible, but what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. President Trump put out a tweet after the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court after she was sworn in. And he said, Biden's handlers want to expand the court. This would be very bad for the USA. On top of that, they don't want to provide a list of who would be chosen for the court. All caps. Must have a list of these radical left judges. They won't provide it. Kamala and Joe don't want to talk about court packing, but some of their friends talk about court packing. But before I get to that, and I will get to that in a minute, I want to go back to something that had come up in the course of playing some of that audio for you in the last segment. Rachel Maddow saying the Republicans are radical for having confirmed Amy Coney Barrett. Chuck Schumer saying it's the saddest day in American history. Good grief. First of all, let's go back to what happened during the course of the confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh. I'm still not over that. I don't know about you. That was beyond disgraceful. That was beyond despicable. And I don't think I will ever forget how people like Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Richard Blumenthal and all the rest of them treated this justice by going back to his high school yearbook and trotting out Christine Blasey Ford, who looked confused and and even in the words of some of the Senate Republicans, perhaps being used herself by the left to bring down a candidate they didn't want on the court because they want ideological control of the court. They are able to get through the court what they can't get through legislatively, and they know it, and we know it, and they know it that we know it. So let's go back, because I love this rant by Senator Lindsey Graham at the point when he just couldn't take it anymore. Everything that they were doing to try to destroy Brett Kavanaugh, to try to put his family through an absolute nightmare situation, which they did. I don't know how he had the wherewithal to just 
continue on with the process. I think if it had been me, I would have packed up and said, see ya. I I don't need this. I want to go back to my normal life. But when I hear Schumer express concerns about dark days in the Senate, these were dark days in the Senate. Listen to cut eight. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said hello, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham. I think millions of Americans saw through the sham and didn't forget about it. And that's probably why the morning consult found a steady increase in the percentage of voters who favored confirming Amy Coney Barrett. It wasn't just a matter of Republicans having the votes. It was a matter of the American people saying, yeah, confirm her. That's a problem for the left. That's a huge problem for the left. When they begin to slide in public opinion, how do you get it back? All of their tactics have been search and destroy. And now we're adding rioting and looting and threats to everything else. Okay, if Trump is reelected on November 3rd, is every city going to go up in flames? Are we going to see what we saw in Philadelphia after Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed? It wasn't in response to that. It was in response to a, a suspect with a knife. And we know that. But looting and, and you know, and, and there were people on the left who were saying, stop doing that. We need Pennsylvania. Who knows? Maybe that's going to be the sort of thing we're going to see in every single major city. I, I would not put it past them because in the last several weeks, I think they've been told to stand down. I think they've been told, keep things quiet. We want to do the very least we can to get people all riled up and blame all of these uh, situations of unrest on the left. Come on, just keep it down, guys. And then it erupted again. But people remember this. And we, we see these flyers that were handed out, for example, in places like Kansas City saying we've identified you as a Trump supporter and we hope you have good homeowners insurance because you may see a fire being set to your house. That's domestic terrorism. That's who these people are supporting ultimately by not cracking down on it and by not putting a stop to it. That's what these people are about. But keep in mind, not just the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and what went down at that time. But also what Mitch McConnell said about decades of battles over judicial nominees. I think this is a really important cut for you to listen to. This is cut five. That's how strong the tradition was until the Democratic leader led the effort in the early 2000s to establish the new standard. Well, after establishing a new standard, they got kind of weary of it. And in 2013, the so-called nuclear option was implemented because Republicans were holding President Obama's nominees to the same standard that they themselves had created. So when the shoe got on the other foot, they didn't like it too much. It was too tight. Senate Democrats, both in 1992 and 2007, helpfully volunteered how they would have dealt with a nominee like we did in 2016. Then Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Joe Biden, helpfully volunteered in 1992 when Bush 41 was running for re-election that had a vacancy occurred, they wouldn't fill it. There wasn't a vacancy, but he just helpfully volunteered how they would deal with it if they had one. If there's a vacancy, won't fill it. Well, to one-up him, 
leader Harry Reid and his friend, now the Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, said 18 months, 18 months before the end of the Bush 43 period, if a vacancy on the Supreme Court occurred, they wouldn't fill it. That's a fact. What we're talking about here are the facts about how we got to where we are. I understand my Democratic friends are, seem to be terribly persuaded by their version of all of this. All I can tell you is I was there, I know what happened, and my version is totally accurate. It is. People need to remember that when you see leftists throwing around the word illegitimate, you got to go back to the history and recognize the left created it. The left created it and the left, you know, live by it and you might die by it. In fact, over at National Review back in August of 2020, there was a discussion about the nuclear option and whether or not the pressure is building up in Democratic circles to eliminate the filibuster once and for all. This writer was making the point that they're going to regret that. They're going to regret that because the same rules that you establish to help yourself can help the other guy if they're able to gain a legislative majority. Uh, For one thing, the writer said Democrats will need to do much better than expected in this fall's Senate races to have the numbers required to kill the filibuster once and for all. Why the reluctance from some of the people at the time who were saying, "Eh, I don't really know if we should go that far. For all the furor on the left, these senators likely realized that eliminating the filibuster could come back to bite the Democrats. Most obviously, the successful Senate confirmation of 200 federal judges to date, this is back in August, during Donald Trump's first term ought to encourage caution on the left. That torrid record-breaking pace has been made possible by Democrats' decision under Harry Reid in late 2013 to kill the filibuster for judicial appointments. Then the minority leader, Mitch McConnell, presciently told his Democratic colleagues, you'll regret this and you might regret it even sooner than you might think. Well, how many judicial appointments has President Trump been able to get through? They don't like it because they know it's not just the Supreme Court. There have been many, 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 many judicial appointments that they didn't want and they don't want. And that is why you have people talking about packing the courts. You have it. You have some people waiting in and openly saying it. People like AOC, who's obviously in the House of Representatives, not in the Senate, and her little squad over there. They want to fundamentally transform America. She of the Democratic Socialists of America and Elhan Omar. And we don't have time to get into everything she's into. But that's what they want. They don't like America as is. They believe that they were elected to get rid of America and start over. Because I guess when you're a bartender from New York, you know better than the founders. James Madison, Thomas Jefferson. What do they know? What do they know? I can dance on a rooftop. I'm AOC. I'm cool. I'm all about the Green New Deal, baby. And we're going to have this great reset. And we're going to get into all this climate change, globalism garbage. And boy, won't the world be a utopia. We can't even begin to imagine the bliss. Well, I have bad news for AOC. There will be no bliss if you institute any form of global Marxism. It will be global chaos and misery, a la what we read about in Scripture will unfold in the end times. Governmental control, one world government, power invested in the Antichrist and all the rest. We're going to be talking about that later on this week. But this is the point. We have a fundamental responsibility and duty to preserve a country that has granted incredible freedoms given to us by God for 240 plus years. This is a very important time for us to recognize as Christians 
that we are so blessed to be able to vote and to be able to support our elected representatives who are working hard to uphold our ideals and our freedoms. You can't just take for granted your freedom. It's not possible because freedom is never free and it's never to be taken for granted. So pray for this country. We thank you for being with us and we will see you next time. Thank you very, very much for being with us. God bless. God bless.